today we are going to celebrate communion. So if you did not yet get um, one of these when you came in, if you can go ahead and put your hand up and if our ushers can, um, can pass those out. Do we have any of the ushers back there that can hear me? Thanks, Adam. So if you didn't get one, go ahead and put your hand up and uh, we'll make sure that, that you get it. Um, but as we go into communion today, um, the song that we sang uh, during, uh, the song that we sang before offering, uh, that we're saved, we're saved. I have a question for you. Have you, okay, besides being rescued by Jesus, okay, have you ever been rescued before or saved from something? Anybody? Yeah? Anybody want to share what, what happened? So you were in a rollover car accident that you had to be pulled out, pulled out of the car. So she was saved. She was in a rollover accident and you had to be rescued out of the car. Anybody else have, have some, they had to be rescued or saved, big or small? Yeah, do you want to? A house fire. A house fire. Huh? When you were younger, a house fire that you had to be rescued. Did the firefighters help rescue out or, or how did that? We got out before. You got out. Okay, so you Okay. Wow. Wow. So you were able to escape from that. Uh, how about, have you guys, has anybody ever like rescued somebody or saved somebody before? Yeah. Tim, do you want to share? Or? A swimming accident that you were able to, to rescue somebody. Okay. Anybody else have something to share? Yeah. Soraya. Okay. So, so, uh, Soraya's dad, Kelly saved multiple kids from hitting trees when they were sledding uh, at Cascades. Uh, you know, sometimes when I think of like being rescued or saved, like I think of uh, you could go on like YouTube and, and you know or Google like dad saves, and you see like these dads do crazy things, like their toddler falls and they like grab the kid's ankle, like they're not even paying attention or things like that. Uh, there was one time Ransom was walking and he knew about stairs, okay, and he knew he wasn't supposed to go downstairs, but we were at the beach and there was these stairs and he just started walking towards it, like he didn't even see the edge, and I got there right as he like took the step off the stairs and grabbed him. He was, yeah, he was very little. Yeah. Seven-year-old ransom going, ah! No, 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 he was very little at that time. Um, so th- those are different ways that we see of like when we needed to be rescued or somebody needed to be rescued. But if we were to look in the Old Testament, uh, in, in the book of Exodus, God's people needed to be rescued. Okay, They were slaves in Egypt. And they were brutally oppressed and they cried out to God and, 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 and they were there for 400 years. Now, I don't know of those 400 years how long they were in slavery, but they were brutally oppressed in slavery. And so God gets Moses and he says, Moses, I want you to go rescue your people because I, I've heard them and I'm concerned for them. And, and that's the, the story of the great exodus where, where through uh, Moses... God shows Pharaoh that, Pharaoh, you are not God. You are not uh, the greatest being I am. And until you're ready to let my people go, these bad things are going to happen. And, and finally, Pharaoh's will breaks, so to speak, and God rescues his people out of slavery. Okay, that's the Exodus story. And Jesus, on, on the night before he was, he was crucified, when he was, before he had been betrayed, they're celebrating the Passover. They're celebrating the reality that God had rescued his people out of Egypt, out of the slavery, out of the bondage. And they're, they're doing that through, uh, through the Passover meal, things that they would celebrate on a yearly basis. But he reinterprets it, okay, because he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, this bread, he doesn't say what they would normally say. He says, this, this bread is my body broken for you. 
You see, this great rescue, this great escape that you've been celebrating, it's really about me. It's about what I'm about to do. You're enslaved to your sin. You need to be rescued just as much as the Hebrew slaves need to be rescued from their brutal oppressors. And he says, so this is my body broken for you. And then later on, he took the cup. And there was multiple cups they would have, and there was different things that they would say. But he didn't say that. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And that's why we, uh, every month, we take communion together. Because this is something that God gave us. It's a physical thing for us to remember what Christ did on the cross. We're physical people, right? We have bodies. And so when we take this, you can go ahead and and take out the, the bread now. Like when we take this, we have a physical reminder of Christ's death in our place. And I often like to like just break it a little bit. I just break it in half. Sometimes more pieces than that. Because it's a reminder, Jesus really died. God died. His body was broken for me. And so when we take this, there's a couple things that we're supposed to do as we take this. We remember Christ dying. It's also a time for us to look inside our own heart. Am I living, am I living a life worthy of the calling I've received? No, not am I living a life good enough to be saved. That's not what it means. Am I living out the life that God has given me to live? How am I doing? Where do I need to repent? Where is the sin in my life? And when we come to that brokenness, we come to the brokenness of the bread, and we remember that Christ died in our place for those very sins. And Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So during communion, it's this past, present, and future thing. We remember Jesus died for you and for me. And our sins were taken care of on the cross. And we remember the reality now that even though we still, and we still struggle with temptation, and we struggle with our flesh, that we have victory in Christ, we've been saved, and we proclaim his death and his resurrection until he comes. It's a future event. So Jesus, we thank you for your, your body that was broken for sinners like me, like us. We come before you today knowing that we are broken people. We know our sin. You know our sin. And we ask for your help to live in your life, live in your grace, to be your people, to put to death the things of the world. And we thank you that you have died in, your, in our place. And so together, let's take the bread as we remember Jesus Christ dying on the cross for our sins. Again, communion is a physical thing. We need food every day, right? Food gives us physical nourishment. What Christ did on the cross gives us spiritual nourishment. And then again, later on, he, he took the cup, and again, he said, this is, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for you. And the Bible talks about when Jesus died, he made atonement for us, he made a covering for us. And now there is therefore no condemnation because his blood acts as this cover over our sins. And that if you put your faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he sees Jesus. That we appear to him as Jesus is. So let's, uh, let's thank the Lord for him. Jesus, as we take this cup together, we remember your broken body and your shed blood. Your blood that proclaims a better word than the blood of Abel. A blood that cries out, it's been finished. I've forgiven. The debt has been paid. And we thank you and praise you in your name, Jesus. Amen. Let's take together.
You see, what we just celebrated, <clears throat> that's the crux of Christianity. Like, that's what it's all about. The reality that Jesus died in your place and in mine. Because we're not saved, we're not rescued, because we're good enough or we're not so bad. We need Jesus to save us. We need a Savior. We need a Rescuer. And on the cross, when Jesus died, he took all, he took all the punishment. It's enough. And if you put your faith in Jesus and sometimes you still wrestle with that, like, how can I be, I don't feel good enough. I don't, I don't, I want you to know the sacrifice is enough for you. And that's what we celebrated today. That's what we've been singing about today. As we enter into our our sermon time, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 2. Today we're going to be talking about, about what it means to be the church. Now, some of this is going to be a little bit of review. We'll also get some new things. But uh, as we prepare uh, for, for this summer, uh, we're going to be looking through, through the Gospel of Mark this summer. Okay? I know Dr. Clark is teaching through the Gospel of John in Sunday school. Uh, Mark and John are very different Gospels. Okay, John has a lot of teachings of Jesus, a lot of conversations of Jesus, the I am statements, uh, the signs, uh, and you get that in Sunday school. Mark is a shorter book, and it's all about like suddenly this happened, and Jesus was doing this, and he was doing this, and this happened, and and about half of the book is is just the last week of Jesus' ministry. So as we go through the book of of Mark here in in the Gospel of John in Sunday school, they're going to to be able to fit in a way together that we'll be covering different things and be able to see Jesus from different perspectives. Because the Gospels were written uh, with slightly different audiences in mind and with some different goals to be able to show the life of Jesus. But we're going to get to that uh, not this week, okay? And uh, uh, Doc Bracey is going to be preaching next week, so we're going to get into the Gospel of Mark in two weeks. So as I was praying this week, okay, what do we what do we teach on now? We got one week. Do we start the Gospel of Mark? What do you want us to do, God? And and we've got the ministry fair out there. And and so what I want today to be, this is a, a reminder and a challenge for us of what does it mean for us to be the church? Because remember, before we said the church is not a building, right? The church is not an institution. The church is God's people. Okay, so let's unpack this uh, just a little bit. Before we do that. Let's pray. Lord, as we get into your word, I pray that you will speak to me and through me, God, that the calling that you've given us as your people, as part of the universal capital C church, God, you'll show us that, that you will stir us, stir within us by your spirit to walk in the way that you have for us, Lord God. God, I pray that you will continue to give us wisdom and clarity about what that specifically looks like for us here at Skiff Lake Bible Church. Because, God, we want to be fishers of men. We want to be faithful servants that do what you've put right in front of us. So, God, I, I ask for, for, for um, hearts that are open, hearts that are soft to what you're calling us to be and to do. In your name we pray. Amen. So as we get into this, here is a couple main ideas or big picture things, okay? So the capital C church, when I say capital C church, I mean the universal church, okay? That is an an invisible entity, so to speak, of every Christian in the whole world. Every Christian, regardless of of where we live, what we look like, how old or young that we are, every person that has put their faith in Jesus, that is covered by the blood of Jesus, is part of that church. And that called out people of God, capital C, universal church, is hugely important in the advancement of the kingdom of God. Jesus said, repent, because the kingdom of God is at hand. And the kingdom of God is, is coming. 
There is a day that Christ is going to set up his kingdom. And God has given us uh, roles in helping the world be ready for that. So the universal church is hugely important for that. Skip Lake Bible Church as part of that. We here are hugely important in the advancement of God's kingdom. God is calling us to be his people and do his ministry. And even narrow it down a little bit more, you as a member or as a, a regular attender, as someone here at Skiff, you are hugely important in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And says each part does its part in love. You have a role to play. We are all in this together. Those are some of the main ideas. What does it mean to be a part of the church? Okay, let's look a little bit at where we get the word church. Okay? Um, up here, okay, there on your left, okay, uh, that's the actual Greek letters that would be in the Greek New Testament, okay? And then on the, on the right is it's transliterated, okay? It's, it's ekklesia, which literally means an assembly. So that word is a word that we, when that's there in Scripture, it's translated church. But it literally means an assembly. And you could have an assembly of, of, um, of fans at a basketball game, okay? In the Scriptures, there's even one time that there's an assembly that's a riot, Okay, it uses the same word, but this is a word ecclesia, which means an assembly. Now it comes from a couple other Greek words, two words. Okay, ek, which means out of, and kaleo, which means to call. So it literally is people called out from the world to God. God has called us away from the world and to Himself. The outcome is being the church. Okay, that mystical body of Christ, and not mystical as like woo, but like mystical as in. We are the same body as Christians that are in Papua New Guinea, even though we're not in the same place, because we're all united in Christ. Okay, it's a universal, total body of believers whom God calls out from the world and into his eternal kingdom. Okay, that's what that word means. Now, it literally means assembly, like I said. So the English word church come from, comes from uh, the Greek word kirikos, which means belonging to the Lord. So that's where we get the word church and it, where it comes from in the Greek. But again, as, we, as I've done studying in this, what is the church? This is a basic definition of the church. God's people. That's what it is. It's not a building. It's not an institution. It is God's people. Now, we know a little bit more than just God's people. So it is God's together called out from the world people. That it's something that we're in this together. We've been called out from the world. Okay? That we are God's spirit-filled people. That he's put his spirit inside of us. That we are God's marked by love people. That his love that he has for the world, he desires us to have for the world and for one another. And we are God's commissioned We've been given the Great Commission and on mission people. That's what it means to be the church. And I want us to have these things in our mind and our hearts so we know what we are called to together. Now, we are God's people. And what are some of the things that we do? The word means assembly, right? So we gather together. Gathering on Sunday mornings is a really important thing for us as a church. Why? Because we need one another. We need to remind ourselves what this is all about. Jesus died for you and for me, and he's put a calling on your life and mine to be ambassadors, to be witnesses, to serve, to love. We need that reminder because we forget. You know, it's kind of like if you ever are trying to grill something with a charcoal grill, and if one of the coals kind of gets out that way, it gets colder. We need to get picked up and put with the rest of the coals so that we help each other burn bright. 
So we gather together, and we do that. We gather to worship God. We gather to build each other up. We're about edifying one another, and we do it while we wait for the end game, the glorious return of Christ. That's what it means to be the church. This is what God has called us to be. This is who God has called us, uh, what he's called us. And this is kind of what it looks like, okay? I stole this picture um, from one of the kids um, in our kids' ministry at my former church, Okay? I don't know if you can see it really well, but this is, it's, it says the body of Christ. And it's all these stick figures that make up the body of Christ because we have been called out on mission and they're in italics. It's together. Christianity is not something we were meant to do alone. We've been called out together. And that's why it's important to be a part of a church. You don't have to be a part of Skip Lake Bible Church, okay? But to be part of a church where you realize you're called out together. You serve and grow, be known and know and care that this is supposed to be a family where we love one another. We take care of each other. Because as we are a family that serves together and lives together and loves together, then we not only take care of our needs, but we're a beacon of light to the world around us. Because, man, I want to be a part of that community. These people, they really love you. They really take care of you. They really help you out? Yeah. That's what it means for us to be the church. Now, what is the mission that Christ has given us? Well, it's, it's to continue the work of Christ. Okay, it doesn't mean that we have to do more things to add on to what he did for us, but it's like he was proclaiming the gospel. He was the gospel, and we are to walk in his good news, sharing that with the world. That's what he's called us to do. That's what it means to be the church. Now, how does that look like at Skiff? Okay, and don't worry. We are going to get into a lot of scriptures, okay? So don't just think like, oh, we're just doing words up here. At Skiff, we want to be a loving, growing, going church. Three words, easy to remember. Loving, growing, going. And we're going to unpack that in just a little bit. But before we get there, go ahead. Hopefully, you're, I know I told you to turn to Acts a while ago. Acts chapter 2. It's interesting. This morning, <clears throat> as I was putting together my slides... I, uh, I came across this devotional that had, had been emailed to me from the Bible app. And it was talking about how the Spirit is near you and close to you. And I clicked on it and there was a little devotional there. And it was talking about Pentecost. And I was like, oh, there's all these things about Pentecost. And so I googled, when is Pentecost Sunday? Guess what? Today's Pentecost Sunday. Now what does that mean? Okay, <laughs> Pentecost Sunday is 50 days after, after the Passover. So it's about seven weeks after Easter. And it is the time when the church began. And I was like, this is so cool. This is what we're talking about today. Awesome. So in Acts chapter 2, we get the birth of the church, right? Jesus had died. He'd risen. He had been with his disciples for 40 days. He had ascended into heaven. He had said, it's not for you to know the days and the times. You're going to wait. You're going to receive power. You're going to be my witnesses. Wait for the Spirit. And so they were in Jerusalem praying and waiting. And the Spirit of God came down. And the Spirit of God came in this rushing wind, and there was tongues of flames above their heads, and they started praising God in all different kinds of languages. They come busting out, and there's this great commotion, because 120 people busting out of this room, praising God in all these kind of languages. I mean, like, how interesting would that be if probably, you know, like twice as many people as there are here, we just bust out, not out in the country, but like out in the middle of Jackson, and just start praising God loudly in different languages. That would kind of be like, what is going on? And so people are like, what's going on? Some people ridiculed him. Like, they just, they're drinking too much. And Peter's like, no, nah, it's early in the morning. It's too early for that. And he preaches. And in the same city that Jesus had been crucified, he says, the one you killed is the Christ. 
He had the boldness of the Spirit. And it's, they were cut to the heart. And they said, what shall we do to be saved? 3,000 people came to Christ that day. And this is what the church was devoted. This is what they put as a first importance. The apostles teaching that the word of God, the fellowship, we're together as a family. The breaking of bread, the, the reality that Christ's death and resurrection, like that's what it's all about. Don't forget the most important thing in prayer. They devoted themselves to those four things. And then it says everyone was filled with awe. There's wonders. There's miraculous signs. God is working by his spirit. They were together. They had everything in common. They sold their possessions and goods, gave to anyone who has need. Okay? They met together every day. They broke bread in their homes. They were praising God and enjoying the favor. And God was adding to their number daily. And that's what this Sunday, Pentecost Sunday, is all about. We remember this. So why are we talking about this? Here's what, here's what it is. This is our legacy. This movement of God's Spirit through His people. This is our legacy. It's what we've been given. Right now, in this, you know, however many years God has given us to be on this earth, it's like the torch has, is passed to us, and we carry it into the end, and we pass it to the next generation. That's been going on for 2,000 years. We are still part of the movement that began here. And guess what? Satan wants to stop us. He's been wanting to overthrow the church from the very beginning. I mean, go ahead and flip to Acts chapter 5 and let's see what, what's going on. This is not the first time the apostles experienced persecution. Okay, They were preaching. They had already been told not to preach in his name. And they're preaching in Jesus' name again. So the religious leaders call them in and they're like, verse 28 of chapter 5. We gave you strict orders not to teach in his name. Yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. They're like, look, we told you, you can't preach about Jesus. And you just keep preaching about him. And you're making us feel guilty about it. I don't know if that's exactly what it was, but you're trying to make us be guilty of his blood. And Peter and the other apostles, and get this boldness. This is the same group of people that condemned Jesus to die on the cross. He says, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. But God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And when the Sanhedrin heard that, they were furious, and they wanted to put him to death. They wanted to stamp it out. Same group of people that condemned Jesus to die. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered the men, the disciples, to be put outside for a while. Then he addressed them. And this is the interesting part. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theudas appeared, claiming to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. His followers were dispersed. It came to nothing. So he's reminding them, look, Jesus isn't the first person that has come on the scene that had messianic type things going on. Remember Theodos? 400 people followed him. He was killed. They were scattered. came to nothing. Yeah, Judas of Galilee appeared, right? And in the days of the census, he led a band of people in revolt, but he was killed and his followers were scattered. Therefore, in this present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or their activity is of human origin, it will fail. Okay, this, this Pharisee, he said, look, this has happened before. If it's a human thing, it's going to fail. Happened with Judas the Galilean. Happened with Judas. Don't worry, like, just let them go. It will fail if it's 
if it's of human things. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You'll only find yourselves fighting against God. And his speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in, had them flogged, had them whipped, and then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and they let them go. But the disciples left rejoicing because they had been counted worthy to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. And so they kept meeting together from house to house in the temple, teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Here's what I want us to get out of this. The church is an of God movement. And of God people. And Satan for the last 2,000 years has been trying to stamp out the church and he cannot. Why? It's what Jesus said. He asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Like I hear you tell me what other people think, think I am, but who do am I? And Peter's like, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the anointed one. You're the savior of the world. And Jesus says, yeah, you're right. And on this reality, the reality that, that you believe that I'm the Christ, I'm the Messiah, I'm going to establish my church. And all the gates of Hades cannot withstand it. And when it talks about gates, it's not just that there's gates that you've got to try to bust through. But that's where like the men uh, of, of the city and the leaders of the city sat at the gates. And so Jesus said this, look, Satan is going to use all his wiles and schemes and his people to try to come against the church. But the church is an of God thing, so it's not going to succeed. And then we see that all through the book of Acts a microcosm of the persecution of God's people. And because the church is an of God thing, the church continues to not just survive, but thrive. And 2,000 years have passed. And guess who holds the torch now? Y'all. Me. Christians around the world. We're only on this stage of life for so long. This is our time to step into the epic true story of God's kingdom that's coming and to be the church that God has called us to be. Because you see, the church that we're a part of, not because it's Skiff Lake Bible Church, but because of Jesus Christ is an of God movement. And that's a legacy that you have and that's a legacy that I have, that we have been called to take our steps just like the apostles did in the very beginning. That this is what God is calling us to do and to be. So what does this look like? What does it mean for us to be the church? You see, in the early church, they experienced persecution and suffering and hardship. They needed these two words, patient endurance. The ability to remain under something and to continue on in it and to do it with patience. To wait patiently because they knew the kingdom of God is coming. One day Christ is going to return. We want to be ready for that day. We want others to be ready for that day. And to know that Jesus said the kingdom of God is not just coming, but it's here because God's spirit is here. That we are to be models and representatives of that kingdom, to display it in our life, in our actions, in our words, to be ambassadors, representatives of that kingdom, to be witnesses of that kingdom. And so the early church stayed engaged in the mission that God had given them. And the mission God gave them is the same mission he gives us, to be his people and to do his work. Because again, this is the church. God's called together, called out from the world, spirit-filled, marked by love, commissioned and on-missioned people who gather together to worship God, to build one another up while we wait for Christ's return. And everybody, everybody 
has a part to play in this. Everybody has a part to play. So let's, let's look at what does this look like for us here at Skiff. How do we seek to walk in what God has for us? Okay? We try to sum it up in loving, growing, going. What does that mean? Okay? We have it up here on the screen. We want to be loving God with our everything, a life of worship. We want to love our neighbors as ourselves, and we want to love one another as Christ loves us. Now, these things up here are not just be like, yeah, that sounds good. Those are cool things to put up there. Where do we get that from? Jesus. Matthew chapter 22. Somebody's like, Jesus, what's the most important commandment? Like the Pharisees, they're trying to trick him up. They're trying to trap him in his words. They, they love to rank the most important commandments, and then they could argue about it. So let's, let's ask Jesus this question, and let's argue about it. And maybe he'll say something that can discredit his ministry. And Jesus says this. He's quoting Old Testament. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then they get the bonus, number two. I'll even give you number two. Love your neighbor as yourself. He's quoting from Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. If you love God with your everything, a life of worship, if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will fulfill the law. And sometime later, somebody says, well, who's my neighbor? Because they want to make sure, um, like, that person over there is not my neighbor, right? I don't have to love them. And that's where Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan, right? Samaritan and Jews, enemies, don't get along. And a Jew is, is beat up and left for dead. And if you know the story, the priest walks by and ignores him. And then the Levite, who is the one who would help in the temple, help the priest out, sees him, and they walk by. And the Samaritan, who the Jew would never associate with, the Samaritan sees the Jew and takes care of him. At the end of the story, Jesus says, now which one was his neighbor? And the guy simply says, the one who had pity on him. And, and I don't know if this is true or not, but when I read that, I read it like, he couldn't even say Samaritan. Like this, the one who had pity on him. That, I don't know if that's what it was. But he couldn't even say the Samaritan. He didn't, at least that's not how it's written down. Go and do likewise. So he says the, the two greatest commandments, Jesus, straight from the mouth of Jesus, love God with your everything, a life of worship, love your neighbor as yourself. But then in John 13, he says, here's a new command. Now it's a new command because he's not quoting from the Old Testament. This is when he's washing their feet. At the Last Supper, he says, here's a new command I give you. This is to his Christians, to the church. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. And within 24 hours, he's hanging on the cross, dying for them. And he says, this is how you're to love one another, in a sacrificial, self-giving way. So we want to be a loving church, that we grow to love God with our everything, a life of worship, that we seek to love our neighbor as ourselves. And our neighbor is anybody that we come in contact with that has a need, that we come in contact with. And you know what? One thing you can be praying about is, God, who are the neighbors you've given us here at Skiff? Whether they're local neighbors, whether it's ministries we're connected with. Like, where do you want us to pour the bulk of our outreach ministry into? We need wisdom. We want you to show us, God. And then God desires us to grow into a loving family because we are to love one another in the way that Christ loved us. So we want to be a loving church. We also want to be a growing church, a loving, growing, going. We want to be growing in our depth of knowledge of Jesus. We want to be growing in Christ's likeness. We want to be growing as a loving family. Again, where do these come from? In Romans chapter 8, Paul says this. 
he says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. No matter what we go through, those that are his, that we love him, and we're called according to his purpose, he said he'll work it out for good. And then it says this, for those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed into the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. Those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified or made just as if they never sinned. And those he justified, he glorified. Now, what does that mean? When I look at this, this is what I see that it means. Everybody who puts their faith in Jesus, the end goal of that is to be conformed in the image of his son. God says, you put your faith in me, I'm giving you my spirit, and my spirit is going to walk with you through your whole life, and you're going to grow in Christ-likeness, and when you die, or when I return, your sin nature is taken away, and you'll be conformed into my likeness. So we are seeking to grow in Christ-likeness. How do we do that? Being in his word, taking time to pray, rubbing shoulders with other Christians that will help us stay on the path. You see, we want to be a growing church. And not just growing in in our Christ-likeness as as individuals, but here in this passage, um, to summarize it a little bit, in Ephesians, Paul says, look, God has given these different leadership roles in the church to prepare God's people for works of service. And when we do that, the goal is here on the next slide, this is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. When we work together as the church, then we're not blown this way and this way. But as we speak the truth in love, we'll in all things grow up to him who's the head, that's Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. We want to be a growing church. As individuals becoming more like Christ. As a church becoming more like the head, that is Jesus Christ. And then finally, in in Romans chapter 12, we want to grow to love one another as a family. Paul says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. If we were to look into the Greek of that that different words, it, it basically means love the brothers and sisters of Christ with the same devoted and cherishing love that you would have for your family. And God wants us to grow more and more to be a loving family. And you know, for some of you, you've been here for decades and decades and you have these deep relationships. And you know what? This is a special place. It really is. You have welcomed my family, I, and others into this family, and that's awesome. And I say, let's do it more and more, especially as new people that are here that don't have those decades of friendship. How do we help wrap all of us into this family together? Because when we do that, we are a beacon of light to the world. We show that we're we're, um, disciples of Christ. I mean, Paul even said this in the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. He said, we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not just the gospel, but our very lives. You see, that's what it means to be the church. We share life together. And some of the words that come to my mind when I think about sharing life, to sharing our lives is together. Love. Care. Know and be known. That's what a church, not the building, but the people is supposed to be. We want to be a loving, growing, and finally, a going church. And the two main ways that we do that, we go into all the world by sending missionaries. Okay, when we first came here, when we were looking at Skiff, and to know that this is a church that is generous and wants to see the gospel go out and wants to give to missions and fund missions and support missions, that warmed our heart. Because we're like, we want to be be in, in a church like that. 
that wants to give so that people all around the world can know Jesus. And so we do that through our missions committee and our missions giving. We also want to go with the gospel as we live our mission, live the missionary life here. We're called not just to send missionaries, but to be missionaries. And so those are the two ways that we want to be uh, actively going. And this is straight from Jesus, right? The Great Commission. Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them. I'm with you always. And when the disciples wanted to know, when are you setting up your kingdom? He said, it's not for you to know the times. But get this, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Because you see, the church is a God-powered movement. It's when God works in us by his spirit. And if we look at the early church, let's get my slide here. Adam, I may need you to go ahead, skip ahead to the one that says the ultimate factor. I skipped a couple slides. The church is an out-of-God movement. Rodney Stark is a sociologist, and he was studying the church. How did it get from from 120 to 3,000 to more and more and more, even though there was all this persecution? Okay, And I think we can glean a lot from this. He says, I believe it was religion's particular doctrines that permitted Christianity to be among one of the most sweeping and successful revitalization movements in history. As it, as it was the way these organizational activities took on actual flesh. So this is what, he's, this is what it means. The church believed God's word and they lived it out. The doctrines that they held to when it took on flesh and it directed how the organization of the church and it directed individual behaviors, that's how the church grew. You see, if we want to be the people of God, we take God's word and we seek to live it out in front of the world. That's what God is calling us to do in this time. That's how we can be a loving, growing, going church. When we let the truth of God's word not just be in our head, our hearts, but we live it out. And you know what? That's some of what the ministry fair that we're going to have going on in a bit is about. Because you see, God has given us different ministries here in the church to edify one another, to build each other up, to train our children, to help us get deeper in God's word to send out missionaries, to be in our community, to reach people for Christ. God has given us these ministries. And the challenge is that we would take the faith we have and the word we hold to and we would live it out in front of a watching, waiting world. Now, being a part of the various ministries that we have, that's not the only way to do it. But I encourage and I challenge you. Go ahead, you can get out that brochure again. Because part of the so what of this is to find a place that you can serve. It may not be the same way that you served 40 years ago. That's okay. What part of the body is God calling you to play now? Because when we follow the example of the early church and we live out the doctrine we believe in front of the world, the world takes notice. And that's what the early church was about. And that's what it means for us to be the church So what does all this mean for us? Adam, if you want to skip ahead a couple slides to the so what. It says so what in 1 Peter. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. Yeah, right there. What does this mean for us? The so what comes right from Scripture. Peter says, look, the end of all things is near. 
We don't know when Christ is going to return. Any day, any moment, in the next thousand years, or even today, so we want to live ready and waiting. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled. That literally means have an accurate view of yourself in God. Know who God is. Know what he's done on the cross through Jesus. Know how that impacts you and be unintoxicated. Don't let the things of the world pull you back. Why do you do that? So you can pray. So that you can pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. So what is this? From those first two, here's two challenges. And I gave this to us last year. Let's seek to love one another and love our neighbor. Who's somebody here at the church you don't know very well that this week you can reach out to to start building a relationship? And can you seek to this week or this month introduce or reintroduce yourself to a neighbor with an act of love? We're called to love one another like Christ loved us, to be a family, to love our neighbor. And then uh, the, the last part, the last part of this passage in the next, next slide, if we can get that, uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 and 11 says this, each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others. We've all been given a gift. It's God's grace given to us that we seek to give out. And if anyone speaks, Peter says, do it as if you're speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, do it with all the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. So the last so what is I encourage and I challenge you, find a place that you can serve here in this body. Because, if we can put that last picture up, we are God's people. We are called out on mission together. Let's pray and then we'll close out service with our last song. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your grace and your love. God, I pray that you will help us more and more to be a loving, growing, going church. God, I am so excited to be part of this church here at Skiff Lake Bible Church. I'm excited for the ministry that is right in front of us. I'm excited for, I'm excited for how you're moving us, how you're growing us in depth. God, will you find us faithful? God, I pray you'll give us wisdom to see where, where do we put the bulk of our ministry? Who are the neighbors you're calling us to here as a church? Lord, the, the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. Will you raise up workers here? God, will you raise up workers around the world? We want to be on mission for you together. God, make us more and more your people together as a family on mission for you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.